everyone. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Sports Scoop podcast. Today's episode will probably be the most important episode I produce on this podcast to date, as it's produced alongside a guest, and that special guest is Neil Jones. Neil has established himself as one of the most reputable Liverpool sources over the last number of years with his work with Goal.com and the Liverpool Echo. The conversation with Neil was an intriguing opportunity as we got to discuss numerous interesting topics such as the most exciting games Liverpool have played this season, underappreciated performers at the club and predictions for the second half of the season, transfer policy, the current update on younger players at the club, along with the owners, FSG, their sort of current roadmap for the future. In the later stages of the podcast, we also discussed Neil's like background in journalism, a brief day in the life as a journalist, along with numerous like a number of his most special moments as a journalist. It was really a pleasure to record with Neil, and I hope and I thoroughly hope that all of the listeners of the podcast really enjoy today's episode. One thing I'd like to note before we get started is that sometimes Neil's voice may seem slightly faint at periods of the podcast. So I'd recommend you to probably turn up the volume to at full blast for the majority of the podcast. So now I think it's the right time to pass myself on to the podcast. So hello all, welcome to the Sports Scoop podcast. And today is the, the first episode that contains a guest. So um, the guest for today's episode is Neil Go- Neil Jones. I apologize um, from, Goal, from, from Goal, Goal.com, I think, yeah? That's right, yeah. And um, now I think it's without further ado, I think it's a fitting occasion to, let's say, proceed into the main topics of this podcast. So I think numerous topics we're going to be covering in the podcast are sort of like a mid-season review um, where we're going to discuss like the exciting games, underappreciated performers and like predictions for the second half. And then also squad depth improvement. Um, under the radar, Liverpool youngsters, and sort of FSG's roadmap for the future. We'd also potentially, if we have the time, for a few questions about Neil's background in journalism. So, yeah, I think without, without further ado, um, I think let's get started. So, what game have you thought has been like the most exciting game this season? I know the most, probably the most notable one would be the City one, the City game in October, but is there any other game which you have felt has probably been an exciting game to watch this season. No, well, I wouldn't have said the City game. I would have said the Manchester United game, surely. Um, if you're talking from Liverpool perspective, going to Old Trafford, winning 5-0. Um, hat-trick from Mo Salah, you know, breaking another record and being there and witnessing that away end and the songs that they were singing. What was that like? What, like yeah, how did that feel yeah, after yeah, so yeah. many years of coming to Old Trafford and not winning and not being successful? How much relief exactly. did that feel? Exactly, well, to be honest, I mean, if I think back to the, the years I've been going to Old Trafford, I think it might have... No, I've seen them win three times, twice, and, and drew once in the Europa League, which felt like a win because it was yeah. a way gone. Um, and and where, where the press box is at Old Trafford, is the, the away end is right next to the press box, so you you, you, you feel like you're in amongst them, really, so it, you, you do get a real sense of the atmosphere and the joy. I always remember when Coutinho scored in the Europa League, and it, it, the whole half-time interval just felt like a party. And it was a bit like that, you know, back in October when they ran through every song imaginable at the final whistle. You know, they were singing about Ollie's at the wheel. And oh, yeah. 
Mo Salah and Roberto Firmino and whoever else, you know, Virgil van Dijk. And I think that would be the one that will always stick out in my mind from this season, no matter what, how it finishes. You know, you you don't often get a chance to go yeah. to Trafford and, and, you know, the game's won by, what, 44 minutes in the, yeah. in the second half of the procession. I think, I think people were getting greedy in the second half and saying we want 10 and we, you know, yeah. we felt like we were really going to put them yeah. to the sword. But, Five nil at Old Trafford will never, um, yeah, will never be yeah. a bad result. One of the most poignant moments of the game for me was probably when we scored the fifth, and Andy Robertson came over to Mo and the whole group saying, "Keep going, keep going." Yeah, I found yeah, that yeah. incredible. I just, it, it just really epitomised yeah. the spirit of the team. Think back to, to Robbo, I mean, tipping one onto the crossbar late on, you know, from, from yeah. Cavani, you know, to keep the clean sheet and still going strong, and yeah, I think. Um, yeah, it was just one of those games where Liverpool were determined to, to keep their foot on the throat and, you know, it really, um, well, it should have cost Solskjaer his job there and then, but he went on for a couple more weeks, but yeah, it was the, the right was on the wall as far as that was concerned. Yeah, 100%. And now our ne- our, the next question is, um, what would you say, is, who, who would you say has been the most underappreciated performer this season out of the whole Liverpool squad? Yeah, it's a tough one. Because they're all so appreciated, and you know, as I yeah. say, everyone's got a song, and everyone, everyone's loved by the fans, and they, they've all won incredible honours. I think the one I would point out as underappreciated, and it's a different one, but would be Joel Matip. Um, yeah. I think you know, you look at first and foremost. I mean, what he's done, which he hasn't been able to do in previous years, he stayed fit and he's been available for the first half of the season in its entirety, which he hasn't been able to do that. You know, hundred percent for having muscle injuries and, and missing games, and you know four or five good performances and then a month out and that kind of thing. But he's been available and wonderful player. You know, we forget sometimes when he's not there that he's what a what a top centre back he is. Maybe sometimes him, Joe Gomez, even Canate, Dejan Lovren in the past. They suffered being next to Virgil van Dijk because everyone's talked about Virgil, but these players are pretty special defenders. Um you know, when Joel goes forward, you know, he looks uh, he looks a million dollars, doesn't he? And yeah. everyone, everyone was screaming at him on Sunday to have a shot on his left foot. Yeah. And, would have been one of the goals of the season, but he's been he's been excellent this season, Joel Matted, and keeping him fit would be a big boost. I'm, I'm actually of the opinion last season that if Joe Gomez and, and Joel Matted had stayed fit, even without Van Dijk, I think Liverpool still would have had a good chance of winning the league. It was when, obviously, when the other injuries came after Van Dijk, I think that they really suffered. So if they can have you know him fit, Van Dijk fit for the majority of the rest of this season, I think Liverpool will be in good shape. Yeah, going back to Joel Matip, it's just, I probably haven't appreciated Joel Matip on many occasions in the past. I think in around February, March time of last year, I was calling like amongst my mates for Joel Matip to leave the club. I thought his time at Liverpool was finished. And now, yeah. obviously, in December of 2021, like, I feel that's inaccurate. Like, Matip has proved yeah, himself. Well, I mean, He's. I think, I think the important thing to, to think about is, you know, it's a bit like Daniel Sturridge, isn't it? When Daniel Sturridge was at Liverpool, everyone, you, you, you want him to be fit, but you also, it really annoys you when he's not fit because you know yeah. how good he is. I think the same with Joel Matt. I think the same with Naby Keita to a degree yeah. as well um, in that regard. But think how much you'd have to spend to get a better centre-back than Joel Matter when you've seen the amount of clubs, you know, Manchester United being a very good example. Manchester I... City took years to find a centre-back that really could could do them, you know, what, what they need. So Liverpool have got him there. They've got Joel, Joel Gomez. They've obviously got Canate who's coming. So I think they're looking pretty well-stocked at the moment at centre-back. Which yeah. We certainly weren't, we weren't, weren't saying that in February or March where we were no. wondering... 
know, I think me and you would have had to play centre back if it uh, <laughs> the FA Cup at that point. Yeah, I think there was the old joke stick carroting for a game. Yeah, I think Jürgen, I think Jürgen was being touted at one stage, wasn't he? Yeah, he boots back on. It was it was good fun. So the next question is, um, what's your prediction for the second half of the season? It's been an incredibly positive start to the season. What's your, your prediction for the second half now? Yeah, it's, it's dangerous, isn't it, making predictions at the moment because of obviously the way of the world and, you know, it feels like only sort of two weeks ago everything just felt like it was going quite well and then you're looking, you've got COVID cases, you've got yeah. games being pushed on, you've got the prospect of behind closed doors games and whatever else may come, you've got AFCON obviously looming, so yeah. it's going to be a test in five, six months for all clubs, but for Liverpool as well. I think they'll finish in the top two, certainly. I think they'll be they'll be close to winning the league. I'm, I am a little bit worried about City. I think yeah. they're looking quite ominous and they've got you know a lot of depth that, at the moment anyway, they don't seem to have a lot of injuries. They haven't had a lot of problems with COVID. Um, so, at the moment, they're looking very strong. But, like I say, you know things can change very quickly. Ah. We talked this time last year. This time last year, Liverpool were top of the league going into Christmas. And yeah. I think I'm saying to a couple of friends, you know, they can win the next two. I think it was West Brom on Boxing Day and then Newcastle. And I was saying, if they win those next two, they can be really, really in a good position. And they didn't win yeah. either of them. And it felt like it took them another two months before they were they were, they were winning games again. So things can change, but I think Liverpool will be very close to winning yeah. this season. I think they'll be. I think they'll push City all the way. I think City might just edge it, but I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't be wanting to stake mine or your money on that. I'd be saying it'd be pretty close. Yeah, the thing is, like whenever you compare like Liverpool and City's chances for the league. There's so many variables that involve Liverpool compared to City. Certain things can happen at City and they can sort of go on as business as usual. As at Liverpool, there's certain issues that can sort of affect them. Let's say the AFCON, that's a huge issue. If Salah and Mane go, that's that's going to be pivotal for us. And also Naby yeah. is a big loss. And there's even been rumours of Joel Matip gone. So yeah, that's, that's another variable. And even the fans leaving. Yeah. Yeah, the, fan, the fans going. I think also you've got to remember Liverpool have already had Chelsea and City at home, so they've got to go to both of those places. Yeah. So they've got to go to Stamford Bridge, they've got to go to the Etihad later in the season. So that will be, you know, City have already been to Anfield, they've already been to, to Stamford Bridge, so they, they've got they've got big fixtures out the way early on in the season. But I think the thing with City is the Champions League obviously looms large and we know how important it is to them. We know how desperate they are to win that tournament. When it gets to the quarterfinal stage, you've got that pressure. Maybe that might be one that impacts on their league, their league form. But you look at the players they've got. You look at the ability they've got to rotate with. You know whether it's Grealish, Foden, Bernardo Silva, Gabriel Jesus, Sterling, Mares, whoever else. They've got so much quality there that it does feel sometimes like, well, how could they ever lose a game? Yeah, it does. It does. It just feels unfair sometimes. But we do punch above our weight. And now we're going to move on to sort of the squad depth improvement for the for like Liverpool in general. And so uh, I think we're going to compare sort of like transfer solutions and academy solutions. So um, obviously over the next number of months, would you say there's a potential chance of an improvement in, let's say, the attacking department or the midfield department or even the right back department, which, which like appears lean in the academy solution or a transfer? Yeah, well, we'll start. I mean, I'll start with the transfer idea because was what people want to talk about more so I think but I think Liverpool have got some big decisions coming up in the squad I, don't, I wouldn't say January I'd say the summer I mean, yeah I agree yeah um, but you think about some of the decisions and I would just list a few but you think of 
that'd be Cater, Alex, obviously Chamberlain's contract. They'll have a year left at the end of this season and do they justify an extension? It's a tough one, you know, maybe they do, but you know, you, you might be able to think you could improve and get someone more reliable in those positions. You've obviously got James Milner in a position where you can't go on forever, so you, you're going to have to look and see what you can do with that. And James Milner's still a very important player in the squad. You know, you look at a game like this evening against Leicester, for example, you know, he could be ideal for that. You've got, you know, if you need to rotate him, you can play him as a sort of a left-sided player, a right-sided player, a sitter, a left-back, a right-back if you need him to. Um, and then you've got Roberto Firmino, who, who, again, you know, we all talk about Mo Salah's contract. We all talk about, oh, when is he going to sign? Firmino's in the same boat. He's got, you know, about 18 months left on his deal. And he has less, I think, upset upside in regards to a, a lengthy and a, and a, you know, a costly renewal. So I think Liverpool do have to make a decision over, you know, do they need to long-term look at, I wouldn't say phasing him out, but thinking about what life's going to be like without without Firmino. Um, and that that means there's going to be some big decisions and that could mean, you know, a big sign. It could mean it could mean a, a surprise, a couple of departures. It might mean, you know, some rejigging of the squad to make it a bit younger. You know, there's still, you think of, I mean, I've mentioned a few players there, but you think of Matip, Van Dijk, Henderson, Thiago, Milner, uh, Firmino, all wrong side of 30, Salamane, late 20s, and then Fabinho's around that age, Alisson. So you, there is room for Liverpool to make the squad younger and, and refresh it. And I think they'll they'll look to start doing that in the summer. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. We move on. I mean, academy-wise, I mean, there's a few players emerging. I mean, I wouldn't even say they're academy players really at the moment. I mean, you look at Harvey Elliott, for example, is, is, a, is a player that I think will, will play massive. A massive part in Liverpool's future. I think he's going to have a, a big, big um, role. I think Curtis Jones will be the same. I know, I know people sometimes are a little bit split on Curtis Jones. I don't really understand why. I think he's a fantastic young talent. I think he's got a massive upside to him. Uh, and then you've got players like you know, you think of well, Tyler Morton. Obviously, he's come into the, the the picture. I think, I think he's been a bit of a surprise package. And, yeah. And, and they progress that maybe people didn't expect. You've got other players from that youth cup side, Connor Bradley, Owen Beck, potentially someone like Matthias Musialovsky, although I think they're still a fair way away. Um, and you've got Kay Gordon, who's a young kid, who's got a huge, huge potential. And that's all it is at the moment. And it is important to say that. It's just the potential. But I think Liverpool do see a first-team player there. And him and Elliot, I would suggest, and Curtis Jones in particular, I think are seen as three that could really, really be part of Liverpool's, you know, future, short, medium and long term. And I think it's it's okay to get excited about players like that, especially Elliot. I think Elliot just yeah. he's class. Point, you know, and we're all excited to see him back. But Gordon, I wouldn't um I, I would urge you to, to keep your eye on, on yeah. his progress because he's a he's a real, real talent as well. And we've all seen what Curtis can do in, you know, Premier League championship yeah. already. Hundred um, percent. He just needs to get back on the pitch now. Yeah. He's, had, he's had a bit of a tough one, hasn't he? Had a, you know, got a bit concussion to start the season, got a whack in the eye yeah. for weeks and then picked up COVID. So I think he's due some luck in the second half of the season. Yeah, hopefully a good second half of the season for Curtis. Anyway, whenever we're talking about Kay Gordon, obviously watch Kay Gordon in pre-season. I think he's the same age as I am, which makes me feel yeah. slightly old. But... um. <laughs> He he did look impressive. He probably needs to probably develop physically a bit, but like he did look impressive. Like he probably had a few opportunities of scoring a goal. He appears to have the pace. He appears to have that sort of winger's 
instinct slash striker attacking instinct what Klopp likes. So I feel the potential is there. I think it's just the work that needs to be done. And I feel FSG are willing to do that and Klopp are as well. So. Yeah, I mean, he's already played championship football, you know, albeit briefly. He's already played in the League Cup for Liverpool at 16. So he's, he's clearly on the right path. Of course, you know, you're talking 16, 17 years of age. You can give him five years and he'll still be a young lad. You know, so there's plenty of time for him to develop. But I think Liverpool are very confident that there's a, there's enough there for them to work with and to get him close to, if not in the first team, you know, in the next couple of years. Yeah, so the next question is quite a polarising one. There's obviously the rumour, I don't know how, how accurate this rumour is, but there's that rumour that you probably seen around Instagram yesterday that we are joint favourites with PSG for Erling Haaland's signature. Would you say those rumours are accurate or would you say it's too early to call? Or Well, well I saw where the story come from and it's it was a little bit misrepresented, to be honest. I mean, it was sort of suggesting that Liverpool are... I, yeah, there's no such thing as being joint favourites to sign a player, really, because it depends on what the player wants, what the club wants, blah, 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 blah. blah. But I think what you would say is Liverpool and every club of their level would like to sign Erling Haaland. There's no question about that. You know, the question is, does Erling Haaland want to go to you, and what the price of that of that move? Um, I think the big the big suggestion really has been that Real Madrid are are keenest to sign Erling Haaland, and I think that is quite well known. Uh, I would be amazed if Erling Haaland was allowed to move anywhere without Manchester City having some sort of conversation. I think the same would go for Chelsea. Uh, my colleague Nazkin Selva has already reported that little uh, Chelsea sorry, would love to sign Haaland if they could, even though they signed Lukaku. Yeah. Club, but that's some clubs are able to, to operate in that manner. Um, I think there's going to be a big clamour for his signature. I think Liverpool would like to be involved in it. I think it depends an awful lot on the price, and it depends on you know the demands. If you think about what Liverpool have got a big a big issue to sort out already with Mo Salah, they need to get that contract sorted with Mo Salah. I think they will, but if you think you know to be spinning that plate and also spinning a, a, a £100 million plus deal for someone like Erling Haaland, it does feel a little bit like it might be a bit much for Liverpool at the moment. But I think what, what I would say about, about Haaland is he's a smart lad who's got yeah. good advice around him. And if he has got good advice around him and there is a chance of Liverpool being involved, I think he would, I think he would at the very least would be tempted by Liverpool yeah. to, to come there because I think I think he'd suit he'd certainly suit the Premier League. I think he'd suit the Klopp side. I yeah. think he'd make a big he'd make a big difference to Liverpool as well in the way he plays. Yeah, hundred percent. You could also say whenever we're talking about sort of like the let's say the accuracy of transfer rumours and let's say obviously transfer rumours being misrepresented as you said about Haaland, you could say the same about Jude Bellingham as well. Like Yeah. Yeah, I mean I mean these players they're obvious transfer targets. I mean, there's others, you know, Vlaovic from, from Fiorentina will go somewhere in the summer, I'm pretty sure, because he's scoring bagfuls of goals and he's at a club that isn't at the elite elite level. It's why Grealish was, was so talked about last last year and, you know, Harry Kane to, to, to a degree as well. So when you've got a player that's doing great, great things regularly at, you know, a second-tier club, and, and that's a bit harsh on Dortmund because they are a very good club, but they're not a... I wouldn't say they're a Champions League winning club, possibly, you know, at this moment in time. So you are going to get players that are going to be linked with all the big guns. And, you know, obviously, we all know when, when a player gets linked with 
Real Madrid, then he gets linked with Paris Saint-Germain, and when he gets linked with Bayern Munich, he gets linked with Manchester City, and you know everyone's around there. But I think there'll be a lot of look. There'll be a lot of talks going on at Liverpool, at Chelsea, at Manchester City, at Bayern Munich, at PSG, Real Madrid, Barcelona, about players like Haaland, like Mbappe, like Bellingham, uh, as I say, like Flavich, like all the other players that are doing fantastic things across Europe. Yeah. Um... Whenever you're thinking about realistic signings for Liverpool this, let's say, the coming summer, and sort of FSG and Klopp still signings, um, I was thinking a signing who I feel is quite realistic is Dan Juma from Villarreal. What would you say are the is like the probability yeah. of that? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't, I haven't got any info on it. I know he's linked with Liverpool in the summer when he was at Bournemouth. He's gone to Villarreal and, and done done well. Obviously, I think he performed quite well against United in the in the Champions League. Got down through the group. As well, so he's got um, he's got a knockout stage to look forward to. He's played started playing for Holland as well. He looks a good player. I saw him in the playoffs last year for Bournemouth. Um, they were beaten by um, Brentford, weren't they? Yeah. Brentford in the semi-finals. I think he scored both legs of of that, and he looks like he's got pace. I think he, he reminds me a little bit of Rafinha, who plays for Leeds. Yeah. You see a bit of. I think he's another one who a lot of Liverpool fans will say. He looks like a bit of a Liverpool player. Yeah. There's a, there's a, I think there's a few knocking around the Premier League. I, I look at Harvey Barnes at Leicester. I always think I can see him in a Liverpool side. I always think he's, he's had a bad injury, so we'll have to see how he comes back. But I thought Neto at Wolves. I used to look at him and think, mm, yeah, I can see, I can see something to work with there. But I mean, it's tempting to sort of say they are, they are more Liverpool's level of sign or Liverpool's type of sign. But we saw with Thiago that maybe. If there is an opportunity there to get a player, you know, a, a guaranteed, you know, a, a, what's it called, a, a slam dunk, as Jurgen Klopp might call it, you know, then they will do it. So it remains to be seen whether that that was just a one-off or whether Liverpool are starting to switch their idea into more, you know, look, let's get someone who's going to make an immediate impact as opposed to what you call a project. Yeah, I guess the thing is, I think. I guess in your, I don't know. My opinion would be that we would expect activity this summer. I don't know if you'd think the same, but we kind of yeah, don't really so. know what the nature of the activity will be. Yeah, I think so. You've got you've got to think about back. I mean, Liverpool. It would be di- it'd be difficult to plan. Obviously, with COVID, you know, you, you might have half a season with fans, half a season without. You might have a full season with fans. You might Liverpool. Obviously, we're very close to missing out the Champions League last year. I don't think we're going to have that problem this year. But you never know. Obviously, you couldn't you couldn't plan for that. They're still, they're still in the Champions League itself, so they could be going deep in that competition. So there's a lot of things that can affect the, the move there. You know, it affect the the attractiveness of Liverpool, affect the, the financial power of Liverpool, affect what they need. You know, could have injuries between now and then. There could be contract problems that are rear their head or or, or are, are sorted. So there's a lot, there's a lot going. But I agree. I think there will be some some moves for Liverpool in the summer. There has to be really because you know. They didn't do a great deal last year. They, they bought a good player in, in Canate, and I think a lot of people expected they might have done a bit more, me, myself included. But I think there will be a little bit more in the summer, purely because of some of the reasons I mentioned, you know, as I say, the status of Milner, Cater, Oxlade Chamberlain, Firmino, Mane, you know, they're, they're all they're all in positions where you have to start thinking about, you know, the end of their time at Liverpool. Yeah, perfect. Perfect, Neil. So um, I think the next question is sort of, what would you say is like FSG's sort of roadmap for the future of the club, considering like let's say in relation to like a future manager or replacement for Mike Edwards, sort of, and yeah. also 
a business strategy well, and Michael Edwards is, is already is already got in place. It'll be Julian Ward obviously will step up into that, that role who's groomed for that role as, as deputy yeah. for the last year. Um, and we'll have, you know, what, another six months to, to learn whatever he needs to learn. Um, I think the hope is that that ensures a bit of evolution, but a lot of sort of continuity as well at the same time. That, you know, the, the, the systems and the processes that are in place can carry on but with a new set of eyes at the, at the top, if you like, or a new voice, um, which I think is it's in keeping with FSG's strategy, really, that they do that kind of thing. I don't, I don't think, you know, I don't think it would have been their way to to lose Michael Edwards and then go and hire Monchi or you know someone of that ilk or you know Michael Emanalo or whoever you may be from yeah. another club. I think it was going to be a more internal process. In terms of the next manager, I think we all know really where the roadmap is. There, I think it's going to go to a certain. Former number eight of Liverpool. Stevie G. Right, yeah, I think he'd be right in the frame. You know, I think he's, he's in a good good position at the moment to, to, to prove what he can do and to, to, to you know have an impact in Villa the way he did at Rangers. Yeah, I think so far so good in that respect. He looks like he's got them, you know, got them organised. He looks like he's he's got the the bit between his teeth as a Premier League manager. So see how he gets on there. But I think that I think the long term sort of expectation is that he'll certainly be very close to being in the frame for yeah. world management in the future. Um, and for FSG, they've consistently denied any rumours that they're looking to sell. There's always there's always rumours popping up about what investment and you know their exit plan and that kind of thing. They've they've driven the value of Liverpool up hugely and that is obviously you know down to many things. Smart decisions, good management, bit of luck. Um you know, the fact that it was probably the club was mismanaged so badly before that helped them to do that as well. Um, and they've got themselves into a position where the club is one of the benchmarks in the world football, which you know, I still find it amazing sometimes that so many people are so negative about Liverpool as a club because it was it's not that long ago, ten years ago when yeah. you, know, you were talking about talking about them finishing below Fulham in the Premier League table yeah. and like Everton, you know, power shifts on Merseyside and you know, getting used to Thursday night Europa Leagues and that kind of thing. So, I think they they've done it. They've made some mistakes, some very high profile mistakes, and you know we don't need to run through those. I think everyone knows what we're talking about with that. But generally, I think they've got Liverpool into a very very strong position, and I think their aim will be to continue that and to maintain that. You know, despite the challenges of the last two years financially and and you know and with everything that the pandemic's brought. So. I don't expect them to uh, to deviate too far from the plan, from the script, but I expect them to, you know, carry on doing the good things that they've done and try and do a few more of them. Yeah, and also, in one man I want to talk about is Pep Linders. Um, obviously, he's yeah. currently assistant manager at Liverpool and it appears to be highly thought of. What would you say he has a potential chance of competing for that job as manager or would you say he'll yeah. stick around as a backroom member? It's, it's tough, isn't it? Because history tells you that it's... History generally tells you it doesn't work, but at Liverpool it tells you it does because obviously you, you, you think of Bob Paisley and Joe Fagan and Roy Evans and people like that who, you know, made a smooth ascension from from the back room to the to the main job and won trophies and had success. But you think of others, you know, Steve McLaren being a good example, and you know, you think of Mike Phelan and others who who Carlos Queiroz, who you think they were just never cut out to be a, a number, you know, a, a number one. 
Um, I think Pet Linders would fancy a, a, another goal management. He had a, obviously a brief brief attempt in uh, back in Holland, and it was cut short. I don't think it was quite ideal circumstances for him. To be perfectly honest, with, with his family and you know with with personal um, issues going on at the time, but. I think he's very, very highly thought of by certainly by Jurgen Klopp and certainly by the owners that they appreciate, you know, the role that he's had to play. And you can trace it back really. I mean, he he arrived back at Liverpool in the aftermath of the Kiev final, came back, you know, from, from that. And in the following two years they went and won the Champions League, the Premier League, the Club World Cup, the FIFA uh, sorry, the UEFA Super Cup. And they've continued, you know, as one of the one of the premier teams in Europe as a result. And a lot of that is down to the work that they do day to day. And he's a big part of that. So I think he'll uh, he'll have a big role to play in the next few years. I'm I'm not one hundred percent convinced he'll be the the next manager, but I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him at some point delve back into the world of management and, and test himself because I think he's got the desire to do it. Yeah, the thing is about let's say um, Linda Spell and Holland. We go back to. He was a very young man back then as well. He is quite young. Oh, yeah. yeah, like I think 1983 he's born. So, like, I think he was only 35 at that time, which is relatively inexperienced for a manager as well. So, Yeah, and he joined the second division side, you know, the division two side that was trying to get out of that that um, division and missed out very narrowly yeah. in the playoff. You know, was, was unlucky not to, not to get promotion. It's not the failure that it seemed to be, you know. It's not. It wasn't. He didn't go to. He didn't go to, you know, Tottenham and have them finish seventeenth in the in the Premier League. You know, he, he he basically basically lost in the playoffs. So it's it's uh, yeah. I don't think it's a big enough sample size to to judge whether he'll be a good manager in the future or not. But I think what you can judge is the impact that he's had on Liverpool and his opinion to have on Liverpool. I think everyone loves listening to him at press conferences as well. You know, I think when he does the, the Carabao Cup presses, I think everyone likes to hear what he's got to say. He's, he's not he's not media shy. He's, he's pretty savvy and he, he knows how to uh, he knows how to big up a player as well. Yeah, hundred percent. And I also want to talk about um, let's say, do FSG have any plans of developing the facilities at the club? Let's say I know they've developed the stadium recently and the training ground. Would you say there's any other? Like infrastructure development there, or would you say they they sort of run the race, like in that well, sector effectively? Got, yeah, they've got the training grounds, obviously, you know, elite now, and has been been built up. You've got obviously the Anfield Road end of the stadium, which is is under construction at the moment, and you know, every time I go to Anfield, I'm going obviously later on today, you, you see a new bit that's developing. They're doing what they did with the main stand, where they're, they're building a stand behind it, and then they're going to move it forward. So it, you know, it looms. The presence of it looms large over the existing stand, so that will obviously take the the, the capacity up to sixty thousand plus, which you know is a significant rise when you think about how long Anfield was what forty four, forty five thousand. It's now going to you know what a third of that added on in the last ten years, so that will be a big a big boost for the stadium visually and also for financially. I think I think probably one of the things that a lot of people would look for. And it maybe isn't the most obvious or the most sort of publicised place, but I think it would be the women's side of the Yeah. Yeah, and you look at that, I mean, they're doing really well this season, the women's side. They're obviously top of the, the, the WSL Championship. Um, going well and through in the Conti Cup as well. And they need to get out of that division. They need to get back into the Premier, the, the Super League, the Women's Super League. Um, but they, they train over at Tramier's training ground. And I think there is, there is a, a, a more than legitimate case to be made that, 
there could be more investment from the, yeah. the club and that side of it. And, you know, the rise of women's football, we're all seeing it. We're seeing, you know, obviously clubs like Manchester City, Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, Manchester United really, really buying into that and really benefiting from that. And I wonder how long it'll be before Liverpool start doing the same. They did, they had a, you know, they had a good bash at it a few years back with the same manager who's here now at the moment, Matt Beard. Um, and I wonder whether they, once they're back in the Super League, we might start seeing some changes in that side of the things. Yeah, 100%. I guess I feel they prob- that, that change is probably essential because I think they're training up at the Wirral at the moment. Where yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all a campus, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's less than ideal, I think, for Liverpool women's team if they want to sort of develop as like a, yeah. an elite women's team. So I feel the training ground has to be developed. I feel that's like the essential. Yeah, or, or, or accommodate them as part of the KB side, Yeah, I think is, you know, is, is under under um, review and, and consideration, but it wasn't deemed possible when the, when the, the, the AXA opened itself. Um, when was that? What, last November, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, November 2020, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that would be one that I'd look at if I, you know, if I was, if I was sort of thinking, where can FSG sort of make gains in the next few years? I think that would be one side of it, definitely, that, that, there, are, that there is potential there. Anyway, um, I, I've enjoyed those club-related questions, so I think only one final club-related question would be, what's, what sort of team would you expect Liverpool to field tonight against Leicester in the Carabao Cup? Yeah, it's tough one, isn't it? Yeah, it depends. depends. Let's, let's say no further um, surprises in the, uh, in the Laflo tests this afternoon. So I think I think one of your guys will start in goal, Quivine Kelleher. Yeah. Will, will, will be there. I wouldn't be surprised if there's another another Irishman, Northern Irishman, Connor Bradley, potentially on the side. Um, Simicast oh, probably can't play Simicast. I would imagine you might have to play Owen Beck because Robertson's got the yeah. suspension coming up, and you're going to need Simicast Boxing Day 28. Um, I think you look at Joe Gomez. I think he's a stew in to, to get some minutes. I wouldn't be surprised if he played with. Canate, possibly, that would be guess. Um, midfield, Tyler Morton played an hour at the weekend. Naby Keita played 90. Oof, it's tough. Oxley Chamberlain, I think, will play. Yeah. Didn't, didn't play at all at the weekend. I think he'll play uh, Tyler Morton and maybe Minamino is the third. Yeah. And then you'd be looking, you'd be looking at so, sort of Firmino, one of the forwards, Mane, maybe, Kay Gordon. It's a tough one. It's, I mean, you've got... There are other options. You could play Nico Williams as a sort of right-sided forward. I know it's not ideal, but he played there against Preston in the second half and did okay. And you could play Bradley and Williams down the right-hand side and make that a little bit more sort of, you know, makeshift. But I think there'll be a lot of changes. And it, it, it's just disappointing for people like Curtis Jones and Nat Phillips, you know, that they're unavailable for this game because I think they would have they would have got good minutes in, in this type of game and you would have been able to sort of to, to, to feel them more first team looking side but on the flip side there's some fantastic opportunities you know I wouldn't be surprised at all if you saw a few of the younger lads you know think of someone like Max Waltman who came on in um in Milan I think he might be on the bench tonight you might have James Norris who was on the bench in Milan you could have Billy Cometio or Gerard Quanser who was on the bench so I think there'll be some opportunities there for younger lads on the bench but I wouldn't expect I don't think they'll take too many risks with the side tonight I wouldn't be banking on Salah I wouldn't be banking on Trent or you know Allison or Jordan Henderson, anyone like that. Yeah, I guess the thing, let's say when in relation to the attack, the thing that's probably a bit of a negative for us tonight is that Divock is out. Divock Origi. Yeah, that's enough. Like yeah. He's another one, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. That's probably something. 
I guess Harvey Elliott as well. Yeah, know, would have been would have been sort of ideal for this kind of game, but yeah, it just works. It's just the way it works sometimes, isn't it? And, and yeah. Liverpool don't have really a great deal of forwards coming through in the academy. They have a lot of good sort of wide players and number tens and you know fullbacks coming through, loaded with 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 sort of talented young left backs and right backs, but. They don't have too many number nines that you say, do you know what, give him a go and just put this kid out of the academy who's scoring 25 goals a season, you know, late Stewart. He's goal scoring forward. So they don't have too many options in that. But I think for me, an old play, obviously, what did he get? About 20, 25 minutes on Sunday. Come off the bench against um, Newcastle game before, I think he'll get a good hour or 70 minutes tonight and a chance to get himself back, you know, into the rhythm. Perfect, Neil. Thanks. And now, just before we finish up, I just want to do maybe two, maybe like two, like personal, two or three personal related questions in relation to like your career as a journalist. So, um, the first, like the first question is, what's like your background in like journalism, and how did you like get into journalism? Yeah, it's an unusual one. I, I sort of always say this when I tell this story. So, wasn't wasn't planned really. It wasn't um, something that I, I enjoyed doing when I was in school all the way through and never really got never really sort of stuck to it and never really you know formulated a plan of what I was going to do I just enjoyed writing about football and you know being a bit obsessed by football um, and then when I was about 25 I, I was working in a bank probably a bit, a bit younger I suppose about 23 um, I was working in a bank and just a normal job really you know yeah. kind of a draining 9 to 5 job you think for, well, get through get to the weekends and uh, an opportunity came up. I was doing some blogging, just writing a few little articles, you know, for myself. And an opportunity came up from from a couple of websites. They wanted me to do a, a couple of pieces for them. I did them. They, they got a decent enough reception, and they were read quite well, or whatever it was. And it went from there, really. And I got very lucky around the twenty ten World Cup. Excuse me. That um, Liverpool Echo, my local my local paper, obviously. I asked if I could go in on a couple of weeks' work experience to just to help out on the sports desk, and they had a World Cup supplement coming out, and they wanted just just a sort of someone to do the do the rubbish jobs really, just do the you know spell check and you know make the tea and whatever else it may be. I went in there for two weeks over the summer, and uh, I never left. Was there ended up working there sort of nearly eight years, so it um it was an it was an accidental. Uh, entry into journalism if you like but it was one of them where sometimes opportunity just turns up and you know you have to you have to find a way of uh, of making it work and touch wood I was able to able to do it yeah brilliant and um, what now what would you say is like a general like day in the life of like a journalist let's say yeah like what would be like the general a, day in the life you could pick a match day should I pick a match I'll, I'll yeah yeah a match day yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll pick a Saturday. Say Saturday, Saturday three o'clock kick off or whatever. You know, a standard Premier League Saturday game. You know, you'd be up pretty early. First thing you do is obviously you check what everyone else is doing. You know, what 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 are the times written? What are the Guardian written? What's 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 in the Echo? What's on the Anfield wrap? You know, what's the world saying about Liverpool at this moment in time? Get yourself on on top of that. You know, it's it's an underrated part of of it really because sometimes you feel like you're wasting time as a journalist because you're just reading. And you just you know you just sort of sitting there flicking through your phone or you're on your iPad or whatever. But but you need to be, in my opinion, you need to be a subject matter expert. So you need to know everything. And even if it's even if it's something rubbish, you need to read it because there might be something in there that you didn't know and something that you know 
can help you in the future. So you you spend a fair bit of time getting up to date with that. Get to the game. I I don't live too far away from Anfield, so probably half an hour travel time on a match day. Um, get to the game at least an hour and a half, maybe two hours before kickoff. Get in there. I do a lot of social media stuff, so mine's a lot of videos. The camera, you know, as I'm walking on Instagram, I'm sure you've I'm sure you've seen them. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of thing on Facebook, and you know, you just sort of you just. It's, you're just driving engagement. You're just giving a bit of a look behind the scenes, really, of what you're doing. So you're doing a, a lot. I do that takes up a lot of the time pre-match, to be honest. The social media element to it of like, you know, warm-up videos or you know, uh, team news, blah blah blah. You know that that kind of stuff. Then during the game, I'll have a laptop set up with a with a, a document open, and it'll just be what takes your fancy and what goal usually asked for from me would be a, a sort of specific. Focus piece, or not necessarily a match report, not 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 a, not a description of what happened, more a you know let's say let's say Sunday for example, so Tottenham Tottenham away. What would you look at from that game? You'd look at probably Klopp's anger at the refereeing decisions. So maybe you you focus your match report on the refereeing decisions, or you might look and say, well, both fullbacks got an assist. Robertson's got a goal. You know maybe Liverpool's fullbacks if we went two one that kind of thing. So you, you start writing your your angle piece around that way, and usually. Goal tend to ask for for something within an hour of the whistle. Sometimes they'll say we'll do it for the next morning. You've got a lot more time, so you can go home and put a cigar on and start, you know, <laughs> crafting these properly. But usually it's within an hour of the final whistle. So you you're doing a lot of writing, especially in the second half of games and Liverpool as well. I've got a little tendency to uh to to leave it late as he did at Wolves quite recently, where you you end up just pressing delete on an entire article and having to restart. Um. And once you've done that, then you've got your you've got your aftermatch. So you've got Jürgen's press conference, which is usually done on Zoom at the moment. Unfortunately, we had a, we had a couple of little personal ones for a couple of weeks, but then COVID returned. And sometimes, well, you, you get the chance to go down and pitch side and speak to one of the players, maybe, um, if you can. Doesn't always happen, and you get a little bit of a uh, little bit of colour, a bit of quotes from that. And uh, yeah, get back, get back, and watch match of the day. So that's uh, that. That would be. It. I mean, it's it's quite. It can be quite frenetic. You know, it, it feels like some a lot of the work sort of condensed into an hour of the day. If you like, you know, you sort of feel like you're a bit sort of la di da di da, and then bang, right, second half of the game, you're really sort of yeah. in. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's not the hardest job in the world. Put it that way. It's not. It's not the. Um, I'm not. You know, I'm not smashing up walls or you know carrying logs or you know, going down mines and. Saving people from fires. I'm I'm writing about football, and I don't uh, I don't half appreciate how lucky I am. And um, I think the final question will be. Sorry if that went out there. My final question will be: Is what's probably been the most enjoyable moment of your career in journalism? Yeah, no question. Well, <laughs> moments. I say I, it would have to be Barcelona in the Champions League, but only because of what happened in, in Madrid. If you know what I mean. So. If they don't win that final in Madrid, it's still a great moment, but it's not. It's not the same. But Barcelona, just that moment, I've got it. I've, I've got it on my Instagram. It still gives me goose pimples now. I've, I've filmed obviously the the you'll never walk alone in front of the cop and sort of being there in in the, in the press box and seeing people who very stoic sort of professional people, you know, who don't don't get emotional about anything. You know, we're, we we're just we're just journalists. We're just here to report the facts and that kind of thing. And seeing the the impact that that game had had on them, you know, just people like. Like I was, I was very fortunate to be 
just just by chance, sat next to a, a very good friend of mine and former colleague, Andy Kelly, at that game. I was sat next to him and got to share that moment with him. And I'll never ever forget the sort of the sense of wonder and bewilderment that what we just watched because I like many, many others, I never write Liverpool off. Same not this team. Um but that day you're thinking, come on, you know, three 0 Barcelona, you, we can dream, but really come on, we've got to be realistic. I'd mentally prepared myself for for sort of a disappointing night. And I can tell you within as soon as Origi scored that goal, really the first one, I was right involved. I was sort of thinking, this is happening. This is on. This yeah. Is on. We're going to Madrid. we're going to Madrid, and to see it happen in front of you, and the way it happened, the drama, the emotion, the noise, the passion. You know, Messi walking off the pitch, and Suarez, Coutinho, people like that. It was just, it'll never be topped for me as an Anfield moment because every other Anfield moment now will have to live up to that one, and you know. First, it's always the best. Yeah, 100%. That was a memorable night in May 2019, of course. Um, so I think I think we've obviously completed all what I think all the topics that we are, I think, probably interested in talking about throughout this podcast. Yeah. It was an absolute yeah. honour, Neil. Absolutely incredible well, experience. Thank, thank you for having me, and it's, uh, it's great to see you there, you know, doing something useful with your time and, and, and not, uh, not wasting it, eh? getting, getting, uh, getting out there and making something of yourself. Yeah. I wish you the best of luck with it. Oh, thanks. Obviously, it was a it was a brilliant, it was like an exceptional episode, I think. And obviously, thanks for being my first guest because uh, that's no an honor as well. So I'll never forget it. So thought it won't be your last. No. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Neil. Absolute pleasure. See you. Mate. See Hello everyone, um, that was an absolutely wonderful experience there with Neil, absolutely adored working with him and I'd love to work with him again. Anyway, before we finish off, I just hope every viewer enjoyed the podcast and maybe took something from the, from the podcast. I personally took something from the podcast and I hope the viewers did as well. You may not be a football fanatic, but I feel there's numerous learning areas to take something from that podcast. That could either be from the football area or the journalism area. So there is definitely compartments of the podcast that you can learn from. I just want to clarify, if you're interested in obviously viewing more of Neil's work, you can view it through goal.com or his Instagram page, which I will leave both in the description. And I just want to update everyone on the progress of the podcast. The progress of the podcast has been absolutely, I'd say, exceptional and heartwarming over the last number of weeks and months and we feel we're in a very prosperous position coming into the new year and we feel we have probably a significant chance of maybe securing some some future guests for the podcast over the next number of weeks and if I'm talking the next number of weeks I'm probably describing that period between now and the end of January as it can be sometimes difficult to secure guests on the podcast um, during the holidays period Anyway, I feel without further ado, why not I say goodbye to everyone and see you all soon. Happy holidays.